that ever made me as a young girl. I was very shy. I was very introverted. I was very insecure. I was very unhappy with myself because I thought that I was too fat. I had too many pimples. I had very straight hair. I had every complex you can imagine. And I feel that the Rebbe knew this and wanted to help me. Hello there, I'm Tanya, and you're listening to Human and Holy, a podcast where we discuss the deepest parts of Torah, not just as scholars, but also as human beings. Today's episode is sponsored in honor of the Rebbe, whose life and legacy have changed the world forever. Thank you to our sponsor for making today's episode happen. If you are listening to this and would like to sponsor an episode of Human and Holy or support our work in any way, visit humanandholy.com slash sponsor or email us at info at humanandholy.com. If you'd like to become a monthly supporter of the podcast, visit patreon.com slash humanandholy where you can give as little as $5 a month to keep Human and Holy coming into the world each week. All the links will be in the show notes. Today, as the first episode in a two-part series in honor of Gimel Thomas, which is the yard site of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, we hear from Mrs. Esther Sternberg about the impact the Rebbe has had on her life. Mrs. Sternberg spent hours by the Rebbe's side, managing the lines of women who would come to receive dollars from the Rebbe, spearheading the Shabbos candle campaign under the Rebbe's direction, and just absorbing hours of the Rebbe's presence and guidance in the world. What are some of the unique moments that she experienced? What impact has the Rebbe had on her life? And what, in her opinion, is the defining message of the Rebbe's leadership? Join us today for an up-close perspective of the Lubavitcher Rebbe from a woman who spent hours by his side. Welcome. I'm so happy to have you here. Can you begin just by introducing yourself, sharing your name, and telling us a little bit about yourself? Well, that's really very difficult. My name is Esther Sternberg. I am a, a mother, a grandmother, a great-grandmother, Bar Hashem, a very large family. I was born and bred in Brooklyn, in Crown Heights. I am a Lubavitcher Hasid since my birth, and my father was a Hasid for his family for seven generations. So I'm born and bred into Lubavitch. I had a very, very, very special close relationship to our Rebbe. And through that, I merited to hear a lot from him, to see a lot, and to do a lot for him or with him. I don't know how to explain that. So I have a lot to share about my relationship with the Rebbe. I'm so excited to hear it. Today's episode is going to be airing in honor of Gimel Thomas. And I just feel like you have such a unique position, spending hours and hours and hours by the Rebbe's side. So I want to tell you that actually everything is Hashgacha Pratis in this world. Nothing happens just by accident. But actually how it happened originally was not meant to be this. And I just had a very big, a tremendous schus, a very big merit that it ended up like this. But originally, when I was quite a young woman, I was married a few years, when we had a convention for the women, the Chabad Women's Convention, yearly, and after the Rebbe spoke to the women, he let the delegates of the convention come over to him and have a private audience right in the shul. And it started out with a few people, and every year more and more women would come. And it came to a point where so many women came that the amount of people speaking to the Rebbe was so long and it took so many hours that Rabbi Groner, who was the Rebbe's secretary, called me up and as a favor to him, he said, could you do me a favor? These were his words. And I thank him till today. 
I told him many times I owe my life to him because he asked me as a favor to him, could you come and help me let the women know that they shouldn't be taking so much of the Rebbe's time and just stand there and remind them that the Rebbe has to finish, it's getting late, and just help move it along quicker. So I was a very young woman, I was maybe 23 or 24 when I started, and I just thought I'm doing him a favor because he was the one in charge and I was helping him with the women. And I would tell the women, please don't keep the Rebbe for so long, the Rebbe has to go to Davin, has to eat. He started to speak to the women at about 7 o'clock, and then when the women went to speak individually, they took so much of his time, it started to be 1 o'clock and 2 o'clock, it was just so much. So that's what I did. And from year to year, the amount of people that were there increased and my job became more difficult because people were arguing that they want to, you know, they have to leave and they want to be the first ones, the second, and then and it became a whole thing that I made a whole, all kinds of arrangements to see who should go first. It was a very busy job, but it was only at the convention and one other time during the year when they have also entertained uh, these women who he spoke for and let them come to speak to him afterwards. That was before Rosh Hashanah, when he gave a blessing to the women who helped raise money for Lubavitch Shiva and Beis Rivka. And it was a special message to those women. And then he let them walk over and speak to him. So twice a year, I would stand there and help guide the women when they spoke to the Rebbe and to urge them to not keep the Rebbe so long. That's how it started. As years passed by, the Rebbe started to do something else, that he gave women a piece of honey cake on Hoshana Rabbah. That was in addition to what he gave Erev Yom Kippur to only the men. On Hoshana Rabbah, he gave to the women that were here alone that didn't have husbands with them because those days people couldn't travel husband and wife. So if there were women who didn't have who to get the piece of honey cake from, it was for them. So again, Rabbi Grona asked me to help take care of the line of the women. So I did that. Then the Rebbe started having Yechidis. Yechidis is a private audience that the Rebbe had with people, various people from all over the world, including people who lived here in the neighborhood, and they would have an evening when they would have a special appointment, and they would be able to speak to the Rebbe about whatever problems they had or whatever blessings they asked for or whatever it is they wanted. At one point, the Rebbe stopped having that individual Yechidis because it was just too overwhelming. There were too many people. And the Rebbe started having something that we call Yechidus Klalis, which means such a Yechidus that was for, in a general one for all the guests that came. It used to be that every guest went in separately. And then when he started the Yechidus Klalis, all of the guests at one time were in the shul. They were standing at two parts of the shul, the women on one side, the men on the other side. And the Rebbe would speak specifically to the guests give them a lot, a lot of blessings, and then each one would walk over individually to the Rebbe and give him a note or a letter, and the Rebbe would give them a dollar and a blessing. So again, the women were online, and somebody had to make sure that they would move along quickly. Now, one of the reasons was also because women very often got overwhelmed when the Rebbe gave them a blessing, and they would just get, and they couldn't believe that the Rebbe said that word or mention that name and they would just stand there and somebody had to sort of wake them up and said move on you're emotional and you're standing but you're taking up the Rebbe's time so one of the reasons I was there was just to remind them to move on to move on to move on so that the Rebbe doesn't have to stand on his feet so long or the time when this Yechidus Klalis actually the Rebbe was sitting but still it was very time consuming so I was there then too so this is how the years progressed that I was there whenever the Rebbe was dealing with the women in any capacity that they needed somebody to guide them and to just make sure that they're not using up too much of the Rebbe's time. When dollars started, it was just such an understood thing that I should be there for dollars. I mean, it was just, I was there. And of course, I have to tell you, when the Rebbe started with dollars, nobody had any idea that it's going to be something every week and it's going to go on for years. When the Rebbe started it, there was no explanation for it. There was no special introduction to it. Then just one day came in from his home, walked into 770, and started to give dollars to everybody standing around. And then the next week, people came there specifically to get a dollar. And as they had been walked in, they were standing waiting. And the next week, more people came. And we didn't know if this was going to be something continuing. It started after Pesach, close to Shvoz. And I remember throughout the summer, we were wondering, is it just for this year or is it going to continue? 
And I remember asking Rabbi Groner, the Rebbe's secretary, do you think the Rebbe is going to continue with the Sunday dollars after Rosh Hashanah the next year or was something just for this past year? He says, we have no idea. We'll see what happens the first Sunday. And I remember being very, very nervous that Sunday. I don't want to say nervous, meaning exciting. I was very excited. Is the Rebbe going to give dollars again? It means it's going to be a steady thing or it was just something for last year. And when the Rebbe came out to give dollars that first Sunday, there was a certain excitement in the air that a new thing is happening that every single Sunday the Rebbe will give dollars. So I was there every Sunday and I tried to help the Rebbe so that the women would pass at a normal pace and wouldn't keep the Rebbe for silly thing. So that's the reason we were there to just make sure that everything would work out perfectly and not waste the Rebbe's time. So just to give context to anyone who isn't familiar, the Rebbe giving dollars was something that he would do where he would give each person a dollar and then they would give a dollar to tzedakah. Well, the purpose of his giving the dollar was that he wanted us to give tzedakah. So he was actually making us do the mitzvah of giving tzedakah. And he said, that the giving of tzedakah will bring the redemption quicker. So the Rebbe was actually making us do a mitzvah of giving tzedakah. Of course, we understood that the dollar that the Rebbe held onto is very dear to us. So we didn't want to give that dollar for tzedakah. So we knew that we could redeem that dollar and everybody would automatically keep that dollar and redeem it with either another dollar or $5 or $10, whatever they wanted. But the purpose was that he facilitated our giving of tzedakah. I know you mentioned to me when we've spoken previously that you weren't really listening to people's conversations. You were focusing on your job, which was to move people along to make sure that people didn't take too much of the Rebbe's time to keep things calm and civil. But I am wondering if over the years, so many years of standing there beside the Rebbe as he was meeting people one-on-one, were there any noteworthy experiences, any specific situations that just stand out in your mind? Oh, there definitely were. Even though I didn't listen to private conversations, but there were some that just people were speaking and it wasn't private. And when they ever spoke, everybody heard. I'll tell you one that I can't forget because I think it's so telling of what the Rebbe actually meant, what the Rebbe was accomplishing during all these hours of standing there. I think that the Rebbe was trying to get every person who came to him to do another mitzvah. No matter what level of religiosity that person was, they have always wanted somebody to do something more. I'll never forget a certain woman came. The way she was dressed, I was able to tell that she is a woman from a very religious neighborhood. She wore a hat on top of her wig, which is something that not everybody does, but there's a certain sect of people that wear a double covering on their head. So I knew that she came from a very ultra-religious neighborhood. And she came to the Rebbe and she said in Yiddish that my son is very sick and the doctors don't know what to do for him. We've gone to so many doctors. Nobody knows how to heal him. Rebbe, please bless my child. He should be well. The Rebbe said, I suggest that you check the mezuzah of his bedroom. So she says, Rebbe, I'm such a religious woman. I have very kosher mezuzahs. As if to say, I'm not somebody from the street that doesn't know and she just walked into a store. I have kosher mezuzahs. And the Rebbe said to her very, very emphatically, I am telling you that if your son is sick, please check his mezuzahs. She was really annoyed and she was actually insulted. And she walked away not being very happy. Most people walked away smiling from the Rebbe and she didn't. So I was standing on the side. I walked with her and I said, please, I see you're upset with the Rebbe. But the Rebbe sees things that other people don't see. So if the Rebbe said, check the mezuzah, please do me a favor. Just go to a scribe and check it. What do you care? Just check it. And she was very upset. She comes back two weeks later. I recognized her because of the way she looked. Very angry. Rebbe, I checked the mezuzah. The mezuzah is kosher and my son is sick. And she's sort of angry that the Rebbe sent her to check the mezuzah. And then the Rebbe said something that I'll never forget. The Rebbe said, if your child is still sick, the mezuzah cannot be kosher. She said, Rebbe, and she was so angry. Rebbe, I went to a scribe to check it, and he said the mezuzah was kosher. And the Rebbe said again, if your child is still sick, the mezuzah cannot be kosher. The Rebbe didn't say maybe. The Rebbe said the mezuzah cannot be kosher. She was so angry that she refused to take the dollar from the Rebbe. She walked away. 
angry. It bothered me very much, so I went after her. I said, please don't be angry. The Rebbe sees things. I said, maybe you went to a scribe that knows you. He knows you're a religious woman, and you're probably a mezuzah kosher. And he was just looking to see if anything rubbed out, because something that makes a mezuzah invalid is if the letters get rubbed out, which sometimes happens because of the weather or because of vibration of the traffic in the street. And he did look more deeply into it. Maybe you go to a scribe that doesn't know you at all and just said, please check this mezuzah, and he'll maybe check it better. And she was so angry, she didn't even say thank you, like, for helping me. She just walked away. Three weeks later, this lady comes back with such a smile on her face, like she won the lottery. And she says, Rebbe, Rebbe, you were so right. You know, I wanted to burst out laughing, but I wouldn't burst out laughing in front of the Rebbe, as if I need her to tell me the Rebbe is right. But she said, you were so right. I went to a different scribe, and he said that there was one letter missing. So the mezuzah was never kosher to begin with. And the other scribe just was looking to see if the letters were rubbed out, but he didn't go through every one, and he saw a letter was missing when it was written. Maybe the man, just by mistake, left out a letter. So the Rebbe showed this woman that he sees there's something wrong with the mezuzah, and she just didn't want to believe him, and then she was so thankful. Wow. I'll tell you a story Wow. about a little girl in Brazil that had a very bad problem that she was stuttering. And the father knew my father, and he called my father from Brazil and said, the doctor said that this girl should stop talking for six months. And if she stops talking after six months, maybe she'll be able to start talking without the stutter. So they were very upset. She's a little girl. You have to tell her to stop talking, and it's so hard for her to stop talking. And the Rebbe said they should listen to the doctor. However, she should only light Shabbos candle with the bracha and say the bracha out loud. She should not do any other talking except say the bracha on the Shabbos candle. So the father listened because he had asked for bracha. And if this is what the Rebbe said, he decided to listen. Three weeks later, the Rebbe asked my father to call up the man in Brazil and tell him that the Rebbe thinks it's time for the child to start talking. And it wasn't six months, it was only three weeks. But the child, the only thing she said in those three weeks were the bracha and the Shabbos candle. And my father called up to the man, and the man said, Lo, behold, this child is talking perfectly without any stuttering. So my father came to the Rebbe to tell him, and he said, the Shabbos candle cured her. So that's something that I saw happening in front of my eyes. Wow. We just heard this, and people were passing by one after the other. And only later did we realize. I remember there was a couple that came over to the heaven and complained that they married for so many years, and they were on shlichas in Brazil, and they couldn't have children. And they were explaining to the Rebbe that they're working so hard with doctors. And as they're talking, the Rebbe is giving the man one dollar and another. The Rebbe always gave everyone one dollar. But the Rebbe ended up giving him $3 as if, almost as if the Rebbe didn't realize he's giving 3 because the man is talking. And you might think, if you don't know how great the Rebbe is, you might think that the Rebbe just didn't realize what he's doing. But lo and behold, a year later, they had triplets. Wow. So at the time, you thought, oh, the Rebbe gave 3 Maybe he made a mistake or maybe he wasn't concentrating and he didn't realize so we got to learn that everything the Rebbe does, there's a reason, and the Rebbe sees above and beyond all of this. I mean, these miracles just happened. We didn't even realize what was happening. And people came, and then the Rebbe would say, oh, I didn't see you for 20 years. And they would say, how does the Rebbe remember it's 20 years? But it was 20 years. And the Rebbe had this phenomenal memory. He recognized people. And some people thought the Rebbe doesn't know who they are. And then the Rebbe said, you think I don't know who you are, but I do. One other story I want to tell you that's just amazing, just to show you the miracles that were happening. As I said, there were times that there were people that were a little bit, they had to be watched. There are a certain group of people that believe very much that if a tzaddik, like the Rebbe, would touch them at the place that they are sick with, for instance, if they have a tumor or if they have a heart condition, if the tzaddik would put his hand on the place of their tumor or the place of their sickness, they would get healed. We don't subscribe to that. We didn't want the Rebbe to have women taking his hand and putting it on their head or on their stomach or whatever. So if I saw certain people look like they're about to do that, I stood with my hand as if to hold them back because they wanted to grab the Rebbe's hand. But there were times that I actually grabbed people. 
for a good thing. And I know for sure at least of five women that were women that couldn't have children for years. It was known, everybody knew they could have children and everybody was praying for them. And when they came to the Rebbe, and if, if it was a certain date, like we knew that date is auspicious day for blessings, I held that woman, I held her by her waist, and I said, ask, ask, because they were too shy to ask, or maybe it was a day that there were so many people that Rabbi Groner, the Rebbe secretary, would say, people, there's no talking today, there's a big line, nobody can talk, nobody can ask anything, just take the dollar and go. But I would hold them by their waist that they should not move, because I wanted them to use this auspicious time to ask for a blessing. And I know for sure that five women that never had children before, and I held them back and did not let them go away without asking, each one was helped that year and had a baby. I know who they are. They know what it was. And I just felt, I don't care, Rabbi Grona says, no talking, but they need the blessing today. It's an auspicious day. It was, one was Hashanah Rabbah, one was on like, but Omer, the days that are auspicious, and I felt they're here, they should get the blessing. And they were blessed. Wow. That's beautiful. And you were a participant in that bracha. That's incredible. This is what I want to ask you. So you had the opportunity to witness so many incredible interactions with the Rebbe. Through all those hours of you standing there beside the Rebbe, were there any encounters or interactions that you had with the Rebbe that were moving to you? You had so many opportunities to connect with the Rebbe in that way, just because of the amount of hours that you were there. Well, honestly, I did not think that I had a right as a private person. I was doing a job, which I was honored to do. And I practically never use it for my own self. There was a time that my father had fallen and I was very frightened that he was going to be very badly damaged from the fall. So I asked for a bracha. There were a few times, but I would never use the opportunity. Sometimes they had initiated something with me. But I never used that because I felt that I was abusing a power that I felt I didn't have a right to do that. What was something that the Rebbe initiated? What would be an example of that? For instance, there was a time that I used to write a report to him every week about the candlelighting campaign that I run. I would tell all kinds of stories about people who started to light candles and different reactions they had. And then after years and years and years, I decided that maybe it's it's too much. The stories are basically the same, that people are very thankful and they change their life. And I felt, you know, it's enough. In the beginning, it was very important for them to see that people are actually so happy about it. But after so many years... And one time, the Rebbe gave me the dollar, the usual dollar, and then he said, I'm giving you an extra dollar to pay for the postage for the letter that you should have sent me about the candlelighting campaign that I haven't wow. been receiving. So he uh. gave me a dollar, which of course, the postage is not a full dollar, but it was his way of saying, I want a letter from you. So I felt the Rebbe knew who I was, and the Rebbe knew what I was doing there, and there was a time that I once was very, very embarrassed. Uh, I'm going to just tell you this. I... I once fell and I broke my leg and I wore a cast, but I didn't tell the Rebbe about it because I didn't think it was such a terrible sickness that I have to bother him for it. It's, you know, these things happen and five, six weeks later, the cast comes off. For whatever reason, which I'm not going to go into now, I used to get a piece of honey cake from the Rebbe on Erev Yom Kippur, as opposed to all the other women. But the Rebbe once told me to come many years ago because of that every single time I went Erev Yom Kippur. Now, when I broke my leg, it was a time that something was going on in our family, and the Rebbe's wife called my father's house to find out what's going on with my mother. And because I broke my leg, I was in my mother's bed because I couldn't go up the stairs to my apartment upstairs. It happened on Shabbos, and this was much of Shabbos when she called, and I still couldn't walk up, so I was in my mother's bed because she was in the hospital. And the Rebbe had asked me, a few questions that she said, your father went to the hospital himself. You didn't drive him such a rainy night. She expected me to have driven him. I didn't want to tell her that I broke my leg, but I had to tell her why to drive him. So I told her, well, I broke my leg and I can't really drive. She said, oh, how terrible. I said, Remison is nothing. Don't worry. And I told her, don't worry. It's going to, you know, just a few weeks in a cast and it's nothing. And don't worry. It seems that she told the Reb about it. And I did not know that. And when it, they took off the cast a day before Erev Yom Kippur, and on Erev Yom Kippur, when I went to get the piece of honey cake, the first thing that happened was they had to look down at me and looked at my feet. And what did I think? He's, I don't know what he's looking at. What's he looking at my feet for? 
And then the Rebbe said, oh, everything's all healed? And then I realized that the Rebbeson must have told him that I broke my leg and he was looking for the cast and the cast was removed. So that's when I had this personal interaction, which actually I was very embarrassed about because I didn't want to bother the Rebbe about something like that. So that wasn't something that you needed specific bracha for. I did speak to the Rebbe about, I once had a very interesting answer. My daughter was getting married and my other daughter was pregnant. The doctor wouldn't let her travel to the wedding. And to me, it was like the end of the world that a sister can go to her sister's wedding. So on Sunday, I said to the Rebbe that my daughter from Montreal can't come to the wedding because the doctor won't let her travel. And I made it sound as if it's such a terrible tragedy. I realized that how silly I was, but I, I just so felt so bad. So the Rebbe said, so what's the problem? Let her make a celebration in Montreal, and that's and dance at that celebration, and she will be joining her sister that way. So Rebbe had a very good sense of humor, and Rebbe would use it out on people. There were times that he was talking about serious things. There were times he was talking about just do another mitzvah, do something more. And there were times he just had a good sense of humor and would calm everybody down with something like that. So I did have those kind of interactions. Nice. How would you describe your relationship with the Rebbe? Like if you could use just some adjectives or descriptive words. To me or other people? No, to you, like your personal relationship with the Rebbe. Okay. From my part or from the Rebbe's part, I want to say that I think that the Rebbe, actually, I know that the Rebbe made me as a young girl. I was very shy. I was very introverted. I was very insecure. I was very unhappy with myself because I thought that I was too fat, I had too many pimples, I had very straight hair, I had every complex you could imagine. And I feel that the Rebbe knew this and wanted to help me. So the Rebbe, when I was 16 and a half, when I was on my way to a trip to Israel to study, he gave me a special shlichus. He sent me to France to a girls' school that I should be an emissary to them to tell them things that are going on here in New York. And I was 16 and a half, so shy, never been on a plane, never been out of the country, never been out of the city of New York even. And here he's sending me to be an emissary of his to the girls in France in a school and stay there for a week and tell them everything. And that became a very difficult job. And with that, he changed my personality. I think that everything in my life changed because of that, that I had to do and I accomplished it. And I think it changed my personality. So I think that the Rebbe was watching me all my years, watching me develop. And the Rebbe was always encouraging me to do more and more. I got very involved in the activities of the Sheikh Chabad, that's the Babbage Women's Organization. And I was very active as a young woman. And then I got very active in the candlelighting campaign. And I was always feeling to have to do more and more because the Rebbe wants things to be done. And one time I had a private audience with the Rebbe and it was a time that my father had a very serious problem. And I was so worried about my father that I wrote to the Rebbe and I cried so much when I was there at the Yechidus, at the private audience. And the Rebbe promised me that everything was going to be good. He said, I see that everything is going to be fine. You have nothing to worry about. And like the Rebbe said, everything straightened out. And the next year when I came back, I wrote on my note, because it was that you would write a note to the Rebbe, and then they would speak to you, he would read what you wrote. And I wrote that because the Rebbe blessed me, blessed my father at my request, I would like to repay the Rebbe. And I do not know how to repay the Rebbe. So I'm asking the Rebbe to tell me, how can I repay him? And the Rebbe said something to me, which I realized this is what he was doing my whole life. The Rebbe said to me, you're so active in social activities. Till now, from now on, you should be active 25 hours a day. Now, I was so dumbstruck by that because I will be the first person to say the Rebbe never says a word that he doesn't mean, never says a mistake, never says by accident something. And there are no 25 hours of the day. But the Rebbe just specifically said that I'm so, that I should now work 25 hours a day. I think that the Rebbe wanted to say that when the 24th hour comes, you should already be thinking of what you're going to do next, because that would be the 25th hour, the hour after the 24th. So I think that the Rebbe was grooming me to be more and more active in activities, social activities. And I think the Rebbe was grooming me as being a very introverted and insecure young girl into a very extroverted, active, older person. 
was there ever a time when you experienced tension between your work outside of your home and your work as a mother? And did the Rebbe ever tell you to slow down your outside work and focus on your family or focus on your health or anything like that? I'm just curious. Actually, it never happened because I was very lucky. I was supported. Of course, my husband was tremendously supportive. And I also lived in the same house as my parents, so it made things a lot easier because my children were constantly going up and down, and my parents' home was like their second home. So if ever I had to be out of the house or ever I had to do something, there was always my mother to fill in. I didn't feel that there was a problem, that my children never neglected. I always had proper help. And actually, somebody once said to me, how are you managing to do all this with your children? I said that my children used to imitate me. They used to play with a toy telephone and they had a pad and a pencil and they would be talking on the phone and like imitating how I'm talking on the phone with people making appointments and then talking about an upcoming meeting and talking to the post office about the postage for the big mailing. And they would play this in their play. They played what I was doing. So actually it was very interesting. And when I started the candlelighting campaign, I had a child who just started to speak. And the first word he said was brochure, because we were giving out candlelighting brochures, and he thought that you give it to everybody. So I remember somebody came to deliver the grocery order, and it was a, a man, a Puerto Rican man who's not Jewish, and he says, here's a brochure. He thought you'd just give it to everybody because he was so used to us giving brochures to people to get them to light candles. So I think the children just grew into it together with me. I remember when we started doing mailing for the candlelight campaign, in the beginning, we were a very small a mom and pop shop, and we did the mailing by hand. I didn't go to a mailing house. We didn't have that many people, and we're sitting and putting the stamps on it and everything, and a letter dropped on the floor, and my daughter, that was about 11, said to me, Mommy, a letter fell on the floor. That's an ashamma. That's somebody's soul. She realized that the letter felt on the floor, the letter might not get mailed. And somebody's soul, somebody who's waiting to light the candles, will not be helped. So I saw that she realized at such a young age that what we're doing is a soul business. It wasn't a business. And everybody was involved. So I think they sort of enjoyed growing up with this. The house was very busy and exciting. It wasn't a boring household and everybody was part of it. Nice. If you could summarize the Rebbe's impact on your life, someone who was, how would you? I, I don't want to extend the question too far. Go ahead. I'll tell you something. My feeling for the Rebbe was such that if, I mean, it would never happen, but if I was told to go in the fire, to run into a hoop of fire, that that would help the Rebbe, I would do it. I felt that the Rebbe is giving his whole of himself to all of us, and we all owe him to do anything he wants. And anything he asked for, I just jumped to do it. And there was no such a question that I'm pregnant, I mean, you know, this is happening, that's happening. The Rebbe wants this to be done, it's going to be done. The Rebbe is giving out dollars. I remember once standing by dollars at night in the heat that time the Rebbe was giving dollars in his house because it was after his wife passed away. So that whole year he was home. And we had to wait outside for the ladies to go in. And it was very hot outside. And I was at the end of my ninth month with probably my 11th child. And it was so hot. But there was no thought in my mind that I'm not going to do this. I could have sent somebody else to be in my place. I'm not the only person that could have done all this arranging, but I wanted to be there. And I loved every second of being there. So the greatest thing in my life was to be near the Hebrew. That was my greatest happiness. And I never went to the country those summers. I never would go anywhere because I would miss the dollars when the Hebrew is giving dollars. I didn't want to miss that. That was my whole life. And I always wanted to do things to make the Hebrew happy, make the Hebrew proud of me, my family, and activities that the women could do. It was always trying to lead women to do things so that the Rebbe should see that we are doing what he wants us to do because he was motivating us. And actually what the Rebbe was doing is telling us that we have an opportunity to bring Mashiach and we have to work and we have to do, we can't be complacent and leave it for other people, that everybody has responsibility. And I felt that I have to help people fulfill their responsibility because that's what the Rebbe wants of us. And my goal was to make the Rebbe happy every minute of the day. Wow. I mean, it is quite groundbreaking to me. The Rebbe related so differently to women than most Jewish leaders of his time. And the fact that you were given such a tremendous amount of responsibility and leadership positions. 
alongside the Rebbe's work is pretty incredible to me. And I'm wondering how the Rebbe's view of you and his empowerment of you impacted the way that you see yourself still as a Jewish woman. Like, how do you perceive your role as a Jewish woman through the Rebbe's eyes? I think that every person, man or woman, has to realize what his potential is and has to try to fulfill his potential. And I think that sometimes we would like to take a little break or we would like to take it easy. And I think that if we have the power, if we have the ability, if we have the talent to do something for the world, we have to do it. We have to bring this world to the completion of what the world was created for, that Mashiach should come. And everybody has to do their bit. And if you were given special blessings by Hashem, then it's there for a reason. And I feel that was motivating me and that is still motivating me today every single day. I'm still teaching. I'm not young at all. It's not so easy for me to go to school every day. I teach 130 girls wow. a day. And it's not physically easy, but I feel that I'm giving them a certain education that very few other people have because of my personal relationship with them and my in all the years that I was here that I could teach them things that perhaps nobody else could and I feel it's my responsibility. So I think that the Rebbe impacts me in a way that I feel a responsibility to him. I feel a thankfulness and a responsibility at the same time. And part of my thankfulness is to pay back to him. And part of my responsibility is to keep on doing because if I have certain potential that I have to use it out. That's what we're here for. I thought it was so beautiful that you mentioned how the Rebbe sent you to France and you were a shy, insecure girl. And the Rebbe kind of thrust you into position that demanded that you become who you are today. Like it opened up that ability for you. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I'll never forget that. And I think that the Rebbe, that was his reason for sending me to France. He was creating me into another being. I really think that. How would you suggest to other people, not yourself with your specific life and circumstances working right beside the Rebbe, how would you suggest to other people finding their balance between giving to the world and really fulfilling their potential as givers in the public arena and also balancing like their inner sense of well-being and peace and their family, et cetera? Well, I think when everybody would think very deeply into themselves and realize the power that they do have. Now, everybody has different potential. Everybody has different powers. Everybody has different talents. And if people would realize that talents are given to them by Hashem for a reason, and they should not waste a minute. I'm not saying don't have a good time and speak to your friends and just have a chat and enjoy, but try to use out whatever talents you have in a good way. Like I know of a woman that is constantly looking for women to talk to older women, in the neighborhood that perhaps their children moved away and they're alone. And she goes out and she looks and I, I keep guiding her and telling her there's another woman here. There's another woman. And she has such satisfaction ever since she's not doing that because she feels a purpose. These women are so thankful to her and she feels that her life is enriched by listening to these other women's stories of their life. And she's helping and when I'm not even talking about physical helping, just sometimes emotionally helping. And there's so many things that people could do to help other people. Everybody has to think of what their talents are and what they could do and realize that every moment in our life is very important and we should use it out for the right thing. And it doesn't mean you can't have a good time. It doesn't mean you couldn't take a vacation. It doesn't mean you have to just keep working, 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 but not to waste time with silliness because life is short and we were put on this earth for a certain purpose. We don't know exactly what that purpose is. And we have to see to do as much as we can with the talents, with the God-given talents that we have. Nice. Now we are post-Gimel Thomas, so we no longer have dollars. We no longer have personal experiences with the Rebbe. I'm someone who was actually born after Gimel Thomas happened. I'm wondering for you as someone who did experience the Rebbe for so many years, did your connection or relationship with the Rebbe change at all after Gimel Thomas? And if it did, in what way? So I have to tell you the truth that when Gimbal Thomas happened, of course, I mean, I, I'm not even going to begin to describe what I felt and how heartbroken. And I didn't know what's going to be my, my future. Like, how am I going to go on living? And I remember that at the end of the shiva, the end of the week of mourning, we were all called to the shul, to the main shul, men, women, children. 
to mark the end of the morning period of the seven, the week of morning. And there were various speakers and they all spoke. They said all kinds of things, very nice things. Nothing really changed in me. And then one rabbi said something that wasn't even his. He repeated a sicha that the Rebbe had said after the passing of the previous Rebbe in 1950. And he said, repeated what the Rebbe said at the time. And the Rebbe said, there was a very great sage called Rabbi Yehud Hanasi. He was called Rebbe. And before he passed away, he called his children together. And he said to his children, I want you to know that I'm going to be leaving this world. And I'm going to go to a higher realm, to the higher spheres. But I want you to know that wherever I'm going to be, no matter what of the highest of elevations, I will be thinking about you. I will be blessing you. I will be seeking Hashem on your behalf. But I want you to know one thing. Levanai anitzarich. I need my children. I'm dependent on you to know that you are continuing to do what I taught you. And when he said this, this was Rabbi Yishel, Mendel Simpson, Olaf Hashalom, he repeated the Rebbe but I had never heard it. And I was so touched by that because here I am crying and crying and crying and not able to walk into my dining room where I have this most beautiful picture of the Rebbe. I couldn't walk into that room because I was afraid of looking at the picture and I'll burst out crying even more. So I didn't even walk into that room. And he's telling me that Rebbe said to his children that I need you, my children, because I need to know that everything I gave my life for is being continued. I need that. And I said, oh, so the Rebbe is telling me that he has nothing for my crying. He needs me to show him that I'm not forgetting what he wants me to do. I'm not forgetting what he taught me to do. And he wants to see that. Levadai anit tzarech. Tzarech means I need them. It's not, he didn't say, I love my children. I'll miss my children. I need them. Meaning he needs, and I came home and my children were all home. They were all those that were living out of town, but all came at the, for the funeral. And of course, Afterwards, I said, Kindalach, all of you, everybody go back to where you were, to your shlichas, and start working and show the Rebbe that all of his life, he gave up his life for us, that we should be better people, that we should do more mitzvahs, that we should help more people. We have to show that we're not slacking down. We're not giving up. We are going to do more, and we're going to make him proud. Go back to your home, and you have to show the Rebbe, yes, Rebbe, we are here for you, and we will not let you down, and everything you did for us in our life will continue, and we're going to show you that we're going to continue. So I have this very strong guilt. I don't want to call it guilt, but I feel I constantly have to do because I owe the Rebbe. And Levadai Anitzar, he needs my Aveda. He needs me to keep doing this. And it's as if he's waiting, and are you doing it? So I feel even stronger the need to continue. And that's one of the reasons I continue teaching, because I feel that I'm impressing on the girls so many things that they wouldn't know otherwise. And I feel I have to do it because they have to feel the Rebbe. They should understand that the Rebbe wants us to continue in what he was teaching us to do, to be these kind of people that help other people, that teach other people, that bring people to Yiddishkeit, and hopefully will bring Mashiach sooner. What would you say to people in my category who have never met the Rebbe? What would be your advice on connecting to the Rebbe's mission? Well, I think that you're my greatest. I have to tell you that after the Rebbe had the stroke, the second stroke, which left him unconscious, I was told, of course, I never watched television, but I was told that there was a very important television program, I don't remember what it was called, but every time they would interview very important people. And everybody watched, I think it was 11 o'clock at night, I don't know. And they interviewed somebody called Chaim Patak, that was, a, I'm sure you heard of him, a very great author, a Jewish man that knew a lot about Lubavitch. And somebody said, what do you think is going to be with Lubavitch? The Rebbe has, is unconscious, and he doesn't have any sons. And what's going to be with, with the world, with Lubavitch? And he said, oh, I'm really not worried about Lubavitch because they have millions of hours of footage of video and audio. I remember being so angry when somebody repeated to me. I said, is he crazy? What does he mean we're going to live with audio, with video? Is he crazy? I was so angry at the thought of it. However, today we are so fortunate that there is so much audio and video. And when we watch the Rebbe, and I keep telling people, if you just watch the Rebbe, just looking at his face, even if you don't understand, although there's so much that has the English translation, you just see 
the love the Rebbe had for everybody and the love he had for teaching Torah, the love he had for inspiring us to do more. You see it just by looking at the videos. You hear it in his voice. Even if you don't understand it, you can see the inflection of his voice of how he's talking to us. And I think that brings us to a very special place. We get to love the Rebbe for this person who exuded love for everybody, for the world, exuded love HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and love for every Jew, and love for every mitzvah, and love for Torah, and you just get to love this man who is showing you so much of this. And we're so lucky that we have all these videos and audio. We have so much written in the Igris Kaidish that Rebbe wrote so much advice to people. On any subject, you get the Rebbe's advice. And when you get the Rebbe's advice, you see he had such clear visions about how we should act and how we should act people with each other, how we should act in, in social skills and how we should act with school children, with older people, with medicine. There's so much advice there that I don't feel that people that haven't met the Rebbe are, they haven't met him physically. But because there's so much information, if you just avail yourself of the information, you'll get to feel the Rebbe and you'll get to a point where you will actually feel that by looking at a picture, the Rebbe is with me. Even though it's not a tangible thing, he's not going to smile directly at me and he's not giving me a dollar, but he knows who I am and he's blessing me and he cares about me. That's what I feel. Beautiful. I do feel that as a young person that I have access to the Rebbe's vision for the world and for my own life. So I think that's such a beautiful way of putting it. So you're very lucky. I feel like you are someone in such a unique position, having such a perspective on the Rebbe's life, having such a personal connection and just so many experiences with the Rebbe. So I think a question I would like to end off with is, what do you think is the Rebbe's defining message for our generation? I think the defining message is just to bring Mashiach, I mean, just to perfect this world. And the Rebbe wants us to constantly do more and more. And he wants us to reach out to every Jew that there should not be a Jew that's untouched. And the Rebbe was promoting this in every way. We should get men to put on tefillah, we should get women to bench lift, even little girls to bench lift. The Rebbe went out of his way to get every little girl to light a candle. You can think that he said that every little girl's candle, every little girl's making the blessing 18 minutes before sunset, she's bringing more Kedusha into the world. With her bringing in Shabbos 18 minutes more, she's bringing so much Kedusha. Imagine all the little girls are bringing 18 more minutes into the world of Kedusha. This is what they have been wanting, to bring more Kedusha into this world. And he wanted everyone to feel very cognizant of that's our opportunity. We have to do it. And that's also the call of action. Everybody has to do it. Everybody in their own way, however they can. And we all have to be examples of the right way, the right actions, and doing mitzvahs. And we should just be serious about it because Mashiach has to arrive. Mashiach has to come. And if there's something holding him back, obviously we didn't finish doing everything and we have to speed up that. And the Rebbe gave it over to us. We just had an anniversary of the speech where the Rebbe said he's giving over to us this obligation. We have to do everything we can to bring Mashiach and everybody has to feel a responsibility. And the Rebbe gave his life for it. Actually, Rebbe said Chayimushka, his wife, gave her life for it because she could have very easily had the Rebbe curtail his activities with us. She could have said that she's lowly at home and he should be home more. And he would have acquiesced to her, I am sure. But she, as she told my father, she was very close to my father, she said she would never ask the Rebbe to do anything for her. She would never do anything to take him away because she knew that she was here to help him fulfill his dream of preparing this world for the coming of Mashiach. And that's what we have to finish that project. Thank you so much. It was beautiful. I'm so fascinated by your position. I'm so fascinated by your perspective on the Rebbe and on the Rebbe's mission and how the Rebbe impacted your life. Just because I don't know any other woman who has had the level of exposure to the Rebbe in person as you have. So I'm grateful to you for sharing some of that with us. It's my pleasure. And I have to tell you that I think that I just was very lucky to have the opportunity. And I once was told by a very smart man that any merit that you have comes with responsibility. 
If you have a gift, you have a responsibility to share it. And that's why, because I merited something so special, I try to share it with as many people as possible. Not because I'm looking to be popular on a podcast or anything, but I just want to share my feelings. If it can help anybody, if it can make a stronger connection to that, I've been through that. Because I feel, why did I have this special merit? It must have been for a reason, and I have to share it with others. So thank you for giving me the opportunity. My absolute pleasure. (laughs) Thank you so much. I want to invite you, in honor of the yard site of our Rebbe, to envision yourself standing in line, receiving a dollar from the Rebbe, receiving his belief in your soul's mission, the significance of your every action, the deep way he recognized the power of your existence, the tremendous potential that you have to give to the world. It does not have to be grand or public to be important. The Rebbe celebrated every mitzvah, every soul-empowered act, every chance we took to introduce more light into this world. Souls, after their passing, are not bound by their physical bodies. The Rebbe sees you, still, sees the powers within you. When your strength falters, come back in line. Come back to receive a dollar from the Rebbe. Come back to this moment, to this truth, to the Rebbe's belief in your mission, to his encouragement. His request that you see yourself the way God does, as an infinite being capable of delivering this world to a new era of godliness and healing and light. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, I want to invite you to leave a rating or a review. It helps other people find the podcast. And you know, we're all about getting Hasidus into every corner of the world. I also want to invite you, if you really loved it, to share it with a friend who you think might love it too. If you would like to sponsor an episode, you can reach out to us at humanandholy at gmail.com. To give to Human and Holy in any amount, visit humanandholy.com slash sponsor. You can follow us on Instagram at humanandholy, and you can stay up to date with everything we do by signing up for our newsletter on humanandholy.com. Thank you for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day.